0: Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message.
1: Uh, Yes, you never do that when I'm done preaching. Other than, like, after 90 minutes, people clap because I'm actually done. So buckle in. It'll be a long time. Uh, but no, you, you should actually wait till I speak before you do that because you might be booing uh, in 20 to 30 minutes from now. But it is really a privilege to be back here. If I can just indulge uh, the cross point people and just step back a tiny bit in time to talk to the people who came from Beverly and now are a part of this church and even some others who uh, may not be a part of Crosspoint, but Beverly has this great uh, place in my heart and in my life and trying to think if I was like 11 or 12 or 10 or something when we moved uh, churches, we were on the south end of town and we came here And this was my church growing up and gave opportunity to me and to others to grow in leadership and youth group and then uh, sent us off to Bible school and supported us and prayed for us uh, during that whole time. And then as I went in serving in various forms of ministry, it actually started back here. And so I was a youth and an assistant pastor or various things for Uh, four or five years before I spent about 25 years in Ontario. And here's what I know, when I served uh, in that bad part of the country, in the East, that um, people here prayed for me throughout. And just uh, as my life took, uh, took a few unexpected turns, people here Prayed for me throughout from Beverly, so it's a real privilege for me to be back here. I've I've reflected uh, even this morning. We've had family weddings, uh, family celebrations of life uh, here, and uh, ch- church isn't a building. Uh, church is the people, but. Buildings are points that uh, symbolize that. So, you've been a big part of that. So, uh, to my many uh, Beverly friends, I uh, just want to say thank you. And to my new Crosspoint friends, I want to say thank you too. Uh, you should know that our prayer retreat that we do every November, where almost all of our pastors and uh, many of their spouses come together from all across the district, we actually told the story about Beverly and Crosspoint as a great story. How uh, something's like, oh, you know, what do we do? Things are happening. It's like, Just like our current state of affairs, nothing was a shock to God. And a great story came how this wonder foundation of God's mission and godly people coming together with Beverly was able to be driven way down the line because of this relationship with Crosspoint. So uh, thanks to Crosspoint for doing that. Thanks to Beverly for making it a great story. And we celebrate what is taking place here. As a body of believers across the country, we have a vision prayer that we would be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, and mission-focused people, multiplying disciples everywhere. And what I know about uh, the Church Crosspoint is that you are really uh, pushing this forward in lots of different ways. You're being very intentional about developing leaders, very intentional about helping people become actually like Jesus, and just... I'm pretty new in my role, and I probably interviewed poorly because I said I'm I'm kind of against discipleship. And what? How can you be against discipleship? It's in our vision prayer. And what I think is so often all we've done is create these nice middle-class Christians who don't do bad things. And don't hear me say do bad things, but hear me say actually, what if we actually were like Jesus? And we're going to look at that a little bit today because Jesus wasn't always this really nice person. Sometimes he called out religious people like me. Uh, most often he was out serving in the margins. A lot of the places where, um, were not always allowed to be as good Christians. So... Um, I'm all for true disciple-making, helping people actually be like Jesus, and I keep getting prompted by the Spirit to do that myself. And I know that's a journey that you're on as a church here, and you're partnering with other ministries, uh, mustard seed, all the things that are taking place. So please keep up that great work, uh, and please keep being an example to churches for how we can do that. As a district family, we're about 140 congregations in Alberta and Yellowknife, and we want to include our chunk of Northwest Territories, and we've tried to take this vision prayer and say, so how do we actually do that? And we've identified three big priorities, and one is this whole idea of making disciples. That's what it means to be Christ-centered. We're really intentional about having our lives emulate the life of Jesus We also want to be spirit-empowered, and so this idea of renewal and so events like soul care or Holy Spirit encounter where we can live lives of repentance and finding our true identity in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And people need to know Jesus in word and deed here and everywhere. And all the statistics are saying North America is now becoming our greatest mission field. And so we want to multiply more churches. We want to show and share the love of Jesus in practical ways. And that's what we're all about. And that's what you're participating in as well. So thank you for that. It's a unique time that we find ourselves in here and now. My home church actually isn't gathering in Calgary. Everything's just online. There's some confusion. There's some fear. What's with the toilet paper? I haven't quite figured that one out yet, but uh, there's panic happening everywhere. I'm going to store something else other than that. Uh, But we wonder what to do. And I I wonder if we ever said, besides, don't touch your face, Uh, I wonder if we ever thought, "I, I wonder what Jesus would pray for when times are crazy and uncertain and not knowing what to do. Well, here's the great news we actually know what Jesus would pray for when times are crazy and uncertain and we don't exactly know what's happening. If you have your Bibles, we're considering something called the the Upper Room Discourse and it comes from John 13 to 17 and we're just going to look primarily at John 17. But this is a stage in the Upper Room and isn't this a way better picture than the Da Vinci one? You know that Da Vinci one? You got like 12 old white guys and Jesus, uh, you know, kind of all on one side, and you almost think they should have a selfie stick. They could just get a great photo op of this thing. Here's the deal. They weren't old. Like, the disciples would have typically been like 10 to 15 years younger than Jesus, so you probably had some teenagers there. I, I don't know how to say this either, but they actually weren't white. So here's a bunch of Middle Eastern young men hanging out with Jesus. And they weren't sitting. They would have been more reclining, like you can see in the picture, around the table. But here's what I love about this prayer. Uh, Jesus Jesus knows what's going on. And he keeps telling the disciples, and it's a classic case of denial. They're not picking it up. He knows that he's about to be betrayed and abandoned and denied. And there's going to be a mock trial and a crucifixion. And yes, thank God, a resurrection. This is all taking place, and they're hiding in this upper room. They're confused. Uh, the, the world will have catacly- cataclysmic changes. I probably shouldn't say a word I don't know how to pronounce. Uh, at this time, I mean, we changed our calendar with the events that were taking place here. Uh, and so we know what's happened. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, m- modeling servant leadership in John 13. And John 14, he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Great words for us today. You believe in God, believe also in me. You know, I'm the way, truth, life. I'm the way that you have a relationship with the Father. He he talked that wonderful passage about abiding in the vine. I'm the vine, you are the branches in John 15. and, And throughout and in John 16, he says, another's coming, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And the Comforter will guide you into all truth. So this is this strange time that they found themselves in, And in the middle of this, Jesus prayed. One of the gifts we've had of uh, moving from Toronto back to Calgary is we're able to journey with uh, my cousin as her husband passed away. And I remember we'd go, and it was just over a year ago, and we'd go see uh, our cousin John in the hospital. And we'd go and say, well, you know, can I pray for you? And he'd let you. But what John did is John prayed for us. Whoever came to see him, John, who was on his last days, prayed for each of us. And were these wonderful, emotive prayers for family and friends who met much to him. And we think of this prayer of Jesus today in John 17. In essence, that's what it was. The world's in turmoil. Everything's about to change. And in this prayer, we see the heart of Jesus for how we live in these strange times that we find ourselves. So Join me in your mind, if you will, in the upper room. The the presence of tension there is palpable. You probably can smell some roasted lamb and rosemary and the various uh, spices that took place around a Passover meal. But listen to the words of Jesus. He prays, what do we do in these strange times? John 17. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them. And I have come to know and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. If you're following along in your Bibles, you'll notice a shift in the attention that Jesus prayer focus is up to this point he's gathered he's praying for those gathered around in the upper room but in verse 20 depending on your translation you'll read something like i pray also for those who will believe and in this amazing prayer of jesus he looked into the future and prayed for i think the universal church but also for local churches that came and gathered and he has a prayer for us here today verse 20 I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. That they may be one, just as, Father, you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I may be in them. What would Jesus pray for us in uncertain times? What would Jesus pray for? He starts it off really early in verse three when he says, this is eternal life that they would know you. Now, sometimes we think of this, well, no, God, I I know about God. I I know I'm stressing Micah about his ordination interview, and that's a good thing, Um, And I had my ordination interview when I was a pastor here, and I I knew about God. I studied really hard, probably more because I didn't want to look bad than anything else. But I knew all about God. I could list all of the moral attributes of God, the non-moral attributes of God, and quote the books of the Bible, all of these things. And, And those are good things. We should know about God. But Jesus' prayer wasn't that we would simply know about God. Jesus' prayer is that we would actually know God in an intimate way. If you're a little bit older, you'll know about a translation of the Bible, something we used to argue about, called King James, the one that Jesus had and Paul, written in 1611. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but in the old King James, it used to talk about, you know, this marital relationship where a, a man and woman would know each other. And, and there was Intimacy. Jesus' prayer isn't, well, I hope you can study theology and know about God. No, Jesus prayed, will you have an intimate relationship with the Father through me and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? Oh, the world's crazy. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Either way, lean into intimacy with the Father. And if there was any doubt, this is what Jesus was talking about. If you scroll down to verse 17 and then even down to verse 19, Jesus prays, sanctify them by truth. For them, I I consecrate myself that they too might be sanctified. This is historically what we as the Christian Missionary Alliance believe. There's a logo over there on the wall, and it it talks about some core beliefs. And on the right side, there's this, this cup, and it's cup stands for sanctification as we wash our hands and we're clean and we're made right with God. And it means far more than we're simply not going to do bad things and we're just going to do good things. It means that we live daily in death to self and life in Christ filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on earth, the religious people came and they pushed him and they said, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, that's actually an easy one. It's Matthew 22. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first That's the greatest commandment. How do we do that? Well, one of the great traditions and practices of the evangelical church is that we read our Bible and pray every day. There used to be a song about it. Friends, it's still a great thing to do. My home church, Foothills in Calgary, created a 2020 reading app. If you're going to be addicted to your phone, at least read your Bible on it and do something productive on it. And so every day, there's a write-up. I was privileged to contribute to that. And every day, we should be able to read our Bibles. Every day, we should spend time with God in prayer. But we know that intimacy with the Father can take all kinds of other expressions beyond simply reading our Bible and praying. Yes, that's foundational. Yes, we should do that. There's great books, Celebration of Discipline, where aspects of silence for an extrovert like me, that's hard is a way that we can connect with God. We can connect with God in nature, through art, through studying theology, through Eucharist, through community, through all kinds of various means. In my own life, I've added a practice just in some of my reading that I found really helpful. And in Luke 9, uh, Jesus says, a little bit different than he says in Matthew or Mark, but in Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves uh, to die themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Matthew and Mark just say, take up your cross. And it's a great reminder for me because I think I need to daily die to self and sin. I like me. <laughs> Why don't we all talk about me? I, we have to die to ego. We have to die to self on a daily basis. And then two chapters over. Jesus says, ask the Father, and the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I would say in my life, it's something that has really helped me live into this first aspect of this prayer of Jesus, that we'd have an intimate relationship with the Father. So, don't be afraid to add to your spiritual disciplines. Try to live in death, the self, life in Christ, the Spirit-filled, sanctified life, intimacy with the Father. And something marvelous happens when we have intimacy with the Father. And Jesus said, when we have the same Father, it actually makes us siblings. And we think about what would Jesus pray for in the midst of this turmoil? Well, Jesus would pray for intimacy with the Father, but he'd also pray for something I'm calling Trinitarian community. Uh, Jesus prayed this uh, before verse 20. And then he also prayed it after verse 20. So it's, depending on the translation, three or four times in this prayer of Jesus, he uses this line May they be one as we are one. May they be one as we are one. Think of what Jesus prayed for that the relationship that exists between God as Father, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit would be replicated in the church today. I I can't get my head around that. It doesn't quite make sense to me, but it was Jesus' prayer. Being Trinitarian, one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not just some obscure theological statement that Micah has to memorize for his ordination interview— It is the model for how we are supposed to live and treat each other within the life of the church. Some of my early years at Beverly, there was conflict. We didn't treat each other that way. I, sorry, called out the band already. You know, there were drums. They were really loud. I was deeply offended. I wasn't. Could you imagine, you know, the Holy Spirit was playing the drums really loud, and the Father said, that's loud, and we shouldn't be playing that kind of music in the church, you know? Of course not, that's absurd in multiple levels. But we fought about stuff. We even had things called worship wars in the life of the church, and they might have happened even here at uh, Beverly. <laughs> of course they did. Um, c- could you imagine the carpenter's son actually doing a, you know, a nice new design, and uh, but You know, the father actually didn't like the color uh, because, you know, I'm building a house for you. That's absurd. But you know the idiotic things that we have fought about in the church? Sometimes we argue some other things that I think are worth, you know, debating. But we fought about all kinds of stuff. It's usually power and control is what we usually fight about. But it's not like that. It's not supposed to be like that. You can see the picture that I have up for this idea of Trinitarian community. The early church parents talked about the Trinity in terms of uh, dance. Now, sorry, Mom. Um, My mom's here. First time I heard this idea of a Trinitarian dance, I was really disappointed because I went to uh, Northampton Christian School growing up, and they had square dancing, and I wasn't even allowed to participate. That's how bad dancing was. I'm not sure why dancing was that bad, but somehow I wasn't allowed to participate. My mom also said, I have to tell you, she was a good mom. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. This whole idea of a dance... Oh, sorry, and it does get worse. My wife's Latina, and she can actually dance really well. Um, And then there's this awkward gringo that she hangs out with, and my life's really being tragic because of that. But we think of this idea of a Trinitarian dance. And here's what I know from my own feeble, fable attempts at trying to do so. You know, like you can step on people, and it's awkward, and it doesn't work. Uh, That's what it means to be the church Today. We come from different perspectives, different backgrounds, a beauty of Canada, different cultures, and then we we try these awkward dances, and we're going to step on each other. There's this idea for how we could live. What if we treated each other the way the persons of the Trinity actually treated each other? Think of the baptism of Jesus. Holy Spirit descends as a dove. John, after a bit of arguing, baptizes Jesus. The father comes and he speaks. He says, This is my son. I love him like crazy, and I'm so proud of him. They're all there, they're all together. You read throughout scripture of the father saying, This is my son, listen to him. And the son, even in the passage that we're looking at, points to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit pointing people to Jesus. And this wonderful ebb and flow. And no one says, well, I'm actually in charge, and the rest of you do what I say. No, that's not the Trinity. I sometimes wonder, even when we come to some some areas of tension or conflict, I I wonder if there's a backstory to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And, And this is a part in the history of humanity where Scripture says, God said, let's, let us make humankind in our image. And I wonder when, I don't know, but maybe the father said, should we make people? And maybe the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the one who's going to step in for you says, "Uh, you know, they're going to fall, right? And when they fall, do you know what it's going to cost the son? And and my guess is if that was the conversation, the son would have jumped in and said, hey, it's it's not my will. It, it's what you want, Father. And the Father said, no, you say the word, and it won't happen. We even see this in the garden, where Jesus literally prayed, you know, take this cross and this journey from me, but not what I want, what you want. And when Peter, or whoever it was, depending on your gospel, cuts off the servant's ear, says, what are you doing? I could just ask my father, and the father would send all kinds of angels, like, what a different way to live. Um, what a different way to lead, where we dance, where we ebb and we flow, and we say, well, what do you think? Well, maybe I'm wrong. Well, what a wonderful thing. And we're actually invited into the Trinity. That was part of the early church parents said, here's this wonderful movement of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we're a part of. I love this idea. I'd love to see it worked out um, we're fallen people, not infallible, divine persons of the Trinity. But it's who we're called to be. Remember, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. It's like love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Intimacy with the Father. And he says, I'm not quite done yet. And love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two ideas. Um, so I know you have uh, home groups here. as an opportunity to go and express community to one another. I know that when you're a part of a church, there's going to be some times where you have differences of opinion, and there's going to be opportunity uh, for forgiveness and reconciliation. If you're Trinitarian, you believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we fundamentally believe in, it means we always pursue forgiveness. We always pursue reconciliation. One of my uh, theologian friends said to me the other day, the mark of the divine or the mark of God is humility. And so we approach each other with humility, with grace. It's just this wonderful gift. And here's something um, incredible that happens when we are one is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And you can actually see it in verse 23. And Jesus makes a couple of comments about the effect of us being one as God is one. And he says, Then the world will know that God loves them, even as he loved me. So as much love as the Father has for the Son, think of the baptism of Jesus, this is my Son whom I love. God has the same love for all people, places, and things. Then the world will know that God loves them. Then the world will know that God sent Jesus. My home church, up Foothills, hosted this uh, group that did apologetics, it's the defense for the gospel. And some of their staff treated our staff so poorly, I actually had to call them into the office and say, before you start telling other people about how true the gospel is, could you live it out by how you treat our staff? Because we don't treat each other that way. That's how bad they were. As Christian author, David Fitch has this wonderful quote. And he says, evangelicals often say what the world needs is absolute truth. He says what the world needs is people who believe the truth so absolutely that they actually
0: live it out.
1: The best defense we could ever have for the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we would be one as God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Which doesn't mean we always agree with each other. It does mean we always dance with each other. And that leads us right into this last focus that Jesus would have us, uh, as Jesus prayed for us in the middle of these discontinuous change times. And that comes in verse 18. When we're one as God is one, then the world knows. Jesus gives this simple reminder, and it's about incarnational mission. Verse 18, Jesus prays, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And this idea of incarnational mission around that. Uh, If you think of uh, what's incarnational, it's Christmas. Um, I can't remember the name of the uh, Christmas carol, but hail the incarnate deity, right? This is Jesus becoming human and living among us. If you ever look at the message uh, translation of the Bible, you know, John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, you know, the word was God. And you go over to verse 14 in the message, and it says... And the word moved into the neighborhood. Church people get so stressed about how do we get more people to come to church? And I've done lots of church consulting over the years, and I keep saying, you're asking the wrong question. The right question is, how do we get church people out into the community around and making a difference? Because Jesus prayed, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. You know how amazing this Trinitarian relationship is? This wonderful ebb and flow? Uh, here's what didn't happen. You know, if we just are a really great trinity, people are just going to come here all on their own. Let's just enjoy ourselves so people come here. No, obviously that wouldn't redeem humankind. Jesus had to come and live among us. Uh, Mike, I love that you showed the... Uh, the video for Mustard Seed. I know you have partnerships. You told me before about all kinds of other people and groups that you're partnering with. Live in the world among you. Be Jesus in these places. Uh, Your home groups are home mission groups. Think first of where it is that you're going to be serving. Part of being a a disciple means we're like Jesus. And one of the things we know about Jesus is he continually got in trouble from people like me, I guess, like religious people. And the graphic I have up here is for Matthew 11, where Jesus was doing what he often did, and he was hanging out with the wrong kinds of people, with tax collectors and sinners and bad people. And so the religious people said, what are you doing? You can't hang out with those people. And Jesus responded in Matthew 11. He said, well, John the Baptist, he came and he wasn't eating or drinking. And he said, well, he must be possessed. And the son of man, Jesus speaking about himself said, the son of man came eating and drinking. And he said, well, oh, he's a, a glutton and a, and a drunkard and a, and a friend of sinners. And Jesus said, like a badge of honor. Of course, I'm a friend of sinners. And, and by the way, I wasn't counting my calories. There was gluten in that bread that I had. So, you know, you can call me a glutton all you want. And it wasn't actually non-alcoholic wine. I don't care. I'm being with people like you are supposed to be doing. As the Father sent Jesus, so I sent you. So, friends, we live in these strange times and even strange weeks as of late, The beauty is in the middle of uncertainty, Jesus actually prayed a prayer. Jesus prayed a prayer that we'd have intimacy with the Father, that we'd have Trinitarian community with each other, and that we'd have incarnational mission and ministry in the world around us.
0: Well, thanks for listening to our podcast.